everybody, welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad that you have decided to tune in and join me in this. I believe today you're going to learn a lot of really cool stuff. You're going to be blessed. I hope you've had a good week uh, serving the Lord and the joy of His strength. Well, we're going to stay in the series that we are in. We've been in a series for the last six weeks. This is going to be actually the seventh part of this, who is the Holy Spirit. Um, I've really enjoyed this. There's been a lot of different topics. These are all listed on our breadtotalministries.org. That's our website, breadtotalministries.org. And then our YouTube channel, Bread Total Ministries YouTube channel. And then I also post them on Facebook. So they're various places so people can uh, get a hold of them and watch these. But this series about the Holy Spirit has been really powerful. I hope that you would go back and listen to, if you haven't, go back and listen to all these different um, teachings about the Spirit, who He is, what He does, what He's accomplished, how He uses us. Uh, last week, we did the Beauty of Spiritual Gifts, Part 1, and we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we uh, talked about the first seven verses, and the first seven verses are... Uh, putting the next verses of the actual gifts in context. And Paul was trying to deal with these people in the Corinthian church to get them to look at spiritual gifts properly, that one wasn't better than the other, that all the spiritual gifts are on the same playing field. They're all different people operate in different spiritual gifts, which we will talk about those today. But uh, he's trying to tell them that, you know, you can't make one gift more important than the other or act like you're more important because you think you operate in that gift. So he dealt with them a lot uh, about that. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to the beauty of spiritual gifts, part one, and it'll set the context for this particular sermon. So we're going to call this the beauty of spiritual gifts, part two, and we are going to be focusing on verses eight through 10, where there are nine nine specific gifts that are listed here of the Holy Spirit. Um, and there are other places where more are listed. And I will get to those, um, probably not most of those today. Uh, we're going to definitely focus on the ones here in verses 8 through 10. Uh, and I'm going to read all of uh, the 1 through 11. And again, we're going to focus on verses 8 through 10 today. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 11. So we're going to talk about the actual spiritual gifts themselves to see what they are. What, what, what do these different gifts, what do, they, what do they do? How do they operate through us? And try to get some good sound theological context of each of these gifts. Okay, so let's read verses, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verses 1 through 11. Paul saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, or some versions say brethren, so he's speaking to believers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, or some versions say dumb idols, however you were led. So they was people were being led before they came to Christ. He's telling them, hey, before you knew Christ, you're being led away to false idols, to uh, non-existent gods. He says in verse three, therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's laying out the fact that gifts should are true gifts will operate through the whole true Holy Spirit. Verse four, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now we see this unity of the Trinity, the Spirit, uh, Christ, and then God, uh, God the Father, all, all mentioned here, saying that all these gifts come from the same place. In verse 7, he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So all these gifts we're going to talk about are all given for the good of the body of Christ, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now in verse 8. So we dealt with those first seven verses last week, verse 8. Here's where we're going to go today. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by one, the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, 
In other words, he gives someone uh, else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. So that's that distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. And then verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. So these come from the Spirit, and he gives these gifts to us as he wills. So we're talking about spiritual gifts. Um, if you would ask the average churchgoer, I would imagine what their spiritual gifts are. You might even get a really blank stare like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I've not heard about spiritual gifts. I've read it, don't really know about them, don't know what mine are. Um, and I would say that not many in the church with certainty um, can say with certainty that God has supernaturally, how he has supernaturally equipped them, what he has supernaturally equipped them to do. And yet the Bible is very clear that there are spiritual gifts and they're not just for pastors and preachers. They are for everyone in the body has been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. So that should excite you. Um, we're going to talk about them and we're going to talk about how you might know what gifts are yours as well. So every believer has a gift. Every believer has at least one gift, one spiritual gift or more, or several operating through their lives. Um, all Christians have gifts and tasks of their own within the church's total ministry. So everybody needs to be operating in their gifts for the body of Christ to fully benefit because everybody needs to be a part of this. Because again, there's not one part of the body that's not as important, that's least, less important than another part of the body. Um, same thing within the body of Christ. So ministry is a necessary part of everyone's discipleship. So everybody, in a sense, has their own ministry that they are a part of, whether they are, th are in a called ministry or what a ministry that is a preaching ministry or that kind of thing. Everybody's doing ministry, should be doing ministry within the body of Christ. And that ministry is enhanced as you move in your, or operate or function in your spiritual gift. Paul is so eager to have Christians exercise their spiritual gifts that he warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.14, he says, do not neglect the gift you have. And then in 1 Corinthians 12.14 through 19, he says, um, he seems no less eager to have every member of the body of Christ participating in these various roles. We see that again in 1 Corinthians 12. 14 through 19. So Paul is um, very eager to have one op have people operating in their spiritual gifts. And it may not, you know, while it may not be absolutely essential to nail down with certainty the shape and the boundaries of our gifts, it's helpful to us to have some idea. And remember, spiritual gifts are not natural, natural abilities. Uh, they are not a supernatural novelty. Spiritual gifts are given in Christ, and they are for the common good, the edification of the body of Christ. They're there to build up the body, to build up the church, and we are supposed to be working and operating and functioning in the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given each one of us. The spiritual gifts, they're not about us. They're about the Spirit working through us, for the building up of the body of Christ. Our gifts display, they celebrate, and they express and communicate Christ. There's always, they all these things will always glorify Christ. Uh, there is a, what Paul dealt with with the Corinthian church, and I think sometimes you kind of see this a little bit today, uh, there's a lot of believers that imagine a false hierarchy between the different gifts. But Paul says, to make that clear, in 1 Corinthians 12, 17, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 22 there, he says, even those who seem to be weaker are essential members of the body. So every person being a member of the body of Christ has a gift, and not one gift is more important than the other. We are all created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're all created in Christ Jesus for good, good works. So when we feel uncertain about our spiritual gifts, the best thing we can do is to start serving in our local church and then see what God does. So if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, you can't sit in the stands 
and watch the game going on. If you want to see what your spiritual gift is, you got to get on the field, start playing the game, and you will begin to see your spiritual gifts coming forth. And you will even see that through external affirmation. People will begin, as you're moving, as you're operating, as you're working in the church, as you're serving in the church, your spiritual gifts... Um, our, there will be eternal desires in us as we're moving and as we're serving in the church, and they will line up with what, what I call external affirmations and un and identifiable spiritual benefits. So as you're serving in the church, you'll begin to see areas that um, you really, really enjoy, you seem to uh, really grab a hold of, that you find excitement in doing, and others will see this, and others will will affirm you in these, and it will give you an idea, oh, I must be operating in the spiritual gift of helps. Or remember, it's not just about prophecy, it's not just about doing the showy signs, so to speak, or the you know the outward expression of signs, but these other gifts, the gift of administration is a gift, the gift of helps, the gifts of service. Uh, these are gifts that many people don't brag about and unfortunately aren't really talked about much, but they are, let me tell you, as someone who has uh, ran a church and worked in churches, one of the most important people in the church are the people who have the, who have the gift of helps because you can't do anything. You can't just have everybody walking around prophesying. You need people who have that ministry gift, that spiritual gift of helps and that spiritual gift of service and that spiritual gift of mercy and even that spiritual gift of giving. That's talked about in the Bible as well. Those are foundation, those are very needed gifts within the body of Christ. Make they, they're very important to the building, to the foundation of that church, accomplishing what that church is supposed to accomplish. Um, I remember when I first got saved and I started in a small church, we built another church. And I remember, um, yes, I had, I operated in the gift of an evangelist without even knowing what I was doing, but I served. So I made sure that whenever, and so we built this church. So we did a lot of the work ourselves with uh, of those that were in the church and I, I would serve and I would made sure that I was in the game. And then again, from there, you see things and people see things in you and they start to affirm that in you again. And then you begin to recognize the spiritual gifts that you're in. So we're going to start going over the spiritual gifts now, right? That are listed in verse eight. And we're going to, like I said earlier, we're going to look at each one, give a short definition or longer explanation if needed. And if time permits, we'll cover the gifts in the other places in the world and if in the word, but if not, we will cover them next week. So we're going to start. Here we go. Here's our list of the first gift. The first gift listed here is the word of wisdom. I will say about this gift, uh, of course, every believer has some degree of wisdom. Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We have wisdom. But this verse speaks of inspired wisdom. Wisdom God gives, not facts that believers accumulate to gain wisdom. The fact that this gift is described as the word of wisdom indicates that it is one of the speaking gifts. This, this gift describes someone who can understand and speak forth biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully apply it to life situations with all discernment. Let me say that again. This gift describes someone who can understand and speak forth biblical truth in such a way as to skillfully apply it to life situations with all discernment. Um, I see my wife operates in this gift of wisdom quite, quite a bit. Um, you remember the martyr Stephen Acts 10 describes him this way. Um, his enemies were, were unable to cope, it says, with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. That's that gift of the word of wisdom. James teaches in James 1, 5 through 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his 
way. So the word of wisdom, again, is this ability uh, of someone who can understand and speak forth biblical truth in such a way to skillfully apply it to life situations. Amen. So now we come to the word of knowledge. This is knowledge. Um, knowledge normally refers to facts. And evidently, this person who has this word of knowledge is functioning uh, in this, is inspired by the Holy Spirit with facts that the person himself had not learned or memorized. Very, very important to, to hear that and see that that way. The word of knowledge is also a speaking gift that involves understanding truth with an insight that only comes by revelation from God. Those with the gift of the word of knowledge understand the deep things of God and the mysteries of his word. This knowledge is given by God through the Spirit. It must be put to use within the Christian community because it is a great benefit to all of the members. Um, it comes to expression in knowing, understanding, and explaining to people's to people God's revelation in the Scriptures and in creation. I, an example, someone will come to me and say, uh, "Man, you you're able to to to." preach these sermons or preach this sermon in such a way that uh, it's a, it's deep, but it, I'm, I'm able to understand it. Well, that's what you would call the the gift of the word of, of knowledge, taking being able to take, um, uh, getting insight from the spirit that only comes from revelation from God, and you're able to understand the deep things of God and the mysteries of the word, and then bring this to other people. So that's the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge. But before I move on to our next gift, the gift of faith, I want to make this clarification in regard to the gifts of wisdom and of knowledge. And remember, I've been around church for a long time. I've been around charismatic churches. I've been around Pentecostal churches. Some, I don't want to say many, but some charismatic slash Pentecostal churches, they view the word of knowledge or even word of faith churches, they view the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, spiritual gifts, as the Holy Spirit speaking from one believer to another, giving revelation regarding a decision or a situation. You might hear someone like that who uh, use these gifts in that way will often say something to the effect of, I have a word from the Lord for you. So in doing so, they're claiming to be speaking on behalf of God, and they claim that their words are then to be strictly obeyed. Here's the problem with that, and I know if you've been in church long enough and around these kinds of denominations, you have seen that. The problem with that is this understanding of the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom gifts comes dangerously close to denying the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, if God continues to reveal his will and wisdom through special revelation to individuals, then can his word truly be sufficient to make us, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.17, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So has God truly given us everything we need for life and godliness if we require other individuals to give us special revelation from God. Now, this is not to say that God never uses another person to speak to us, but if we often need direct messages from God through other people in order to live our lives, is God's worth truly is God's word truly sufficient as it declares itself to be? I remember being in churches before where there would be uh, there was one particular lady the church would have come and minister and uh she was a real powerful lady uh, in the spirit, and she operated in the gift of, she had, you know, kind of a prophetic thing um, that she would have on her. And I, I remember people who never sat in the front row would always sit in the front row when she came because it was almost, I used to laugh because I think it's almost like they would, they should be wearing a t-shirt that says, give me a word. And because what happens is people are never getting into the word of God themselves, 
and allowing the Spirit to speak through them through the Word of God themselves, they're always looking for someone else to give them a word, a word from the Lord. And you can't depend on that. First of all, Scripture is sufficient within itself. Hear this. There is no new revelation. The minute you hear somebody say, I have a new revelation, that is out of bounds with the Word of God. The Word of God is sufficient in itself. It's all the revelation we need. There is no new revelation. You might have an illumination in your mind about some kind of thing, but you don't get new revelation. That's The canon's already been closed. There's no new revelation. Um, so people sitting in the front row hoping that this lady will give them a word because they, they're in a situation in their life, they need some direction. Well, the biggest thing they could do for their lives would be to pray and seek God every day. They're probably most of them are not. And they would be in the word of God themselves and letting the spirit to speak to them to show them what they should do in this situation that they're in. So if the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge are not prophetic revelatory gifts, just what are they? We know one thing for sure. These gifts are given by the spirit to build up the body of Christ for the common good. The chaos that so often ensues in churches that practice the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom as, hear me, revelatory gifts um, clearly is not for the common good. Confusing, ambiguous, vague, and sometimes contradictory words from the Lord do not come from God, for he is not a God of confusion or disorder, nor do they tend to bring Christians together for their edification. On the contrary, they tend to cause division and strife in the body. So often the word of knowledge and or word of wisdom gifts are used to, I've seen this, gain power and influence over people, even by people who are so-called uh, Christian ministers. And, and, it, and they try. it's almost as if they try to make others dependent on the one who claims to possess the gifts. So this misuse of these two gifts is clearly not of God. Um I tell you this because I've seen this in a church. So anytime you're in a church and you constantly have people going, I have a word from the Lord for you, you need to be uh, really careful about that. Um, one person I heard, and I've, I've kind of adopted this, and so has my wife. Again, I'm not saying that people can't have a word from the Holy Spirit for you, but I, I heard one person present it this way. He would say, I have a thought for you. So I really like that because it removes you from that saying, this is, you know, I know this is for a fact got from God to you and you better do it. But I have a thought for you about this, about something about your life that the Lord has given, the Holy Spirit has given me for you. I think that is a really great way to represent that. So we've learned what the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge is. It's there to enable us to clearly bring forth the word of God, even the knowledge aspect, things we may not have known before, but we are inspired and to know them and to understand them and to be able to clearly give them to people for the benefit of the body of Christ. I hope that all that was really clear. So then we come to the gift of faith. This is not faith to believe in Christ for these people were already born again. This refers to exceptional faith. But the specific goal or object is not stated here. Uh, there's a lot of commentators, when I was going through the study of this sermon, they feel that it refers to the faith to perform miracles such as indicated in Matthew 17, 20. And that's what's, this what it says here. And he, Jesus, said to them, because of your meager faith, for, for, I tr for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, here it is, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. People with the gift of faith have this exceptional faith that automatically rises up inside of them and you could almost call it mountain moving faith. They just have the faith to speak to the mountains and see the mountains move. The gift of faith may be defined as the special gift whereby the Spirit provides Christians, hear this, with extraordinary confidence in God's promises, God's power, and God's presence so they can take heroic stands for the future of God's work in the church. So they have extraordinary confidence in God's promises. The spiritual gift of faith 
is exhibited by someone with a strong and unshakable confidence in God, his word, and his promises. Do you know of anybody like that? You maybe have been around somebody that when a situation arises, there's not even a thought in their mind, boom, that faith comes there, that gift of faith rises up in them, and they just have that that mountain moving faith to speak to the mountain and see that thing move. Exceptional faith. Examples of this are people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. They're called the, this is chapters called the hall of faith chapter. And it describes those uh, whose faith was extraordinary, enabling them to do extraordinary superhuman things. Look at Noah. Noah spent 120 years building a huge boat went up to that time, rain was non-existent, and then Abraham believed he would have, uh, he would father a child when his wife's natural ability to do so had ended. But faith jumped in, that extraordinary faith came upon them, rose up inside of them, and they just did what they needed to do because they knew that it was going to come to pass. And it always amazes me when I talk about Noah, for 120 years, he's building this ship, but it, it had never rained. And while everybody's mocking him and making fun of him, what are you doing? His faith remained strong. That extraordinary faith that got him to get up every day and do something that no one else understood what was going on. He was just moved by his extraordinary faith, and he moved that mountain and prepared his family to outlast those 40 days and nights of rain upon the earth. Without the special gift of faith from God, uh, these kind of things would be absolutely impossible because Noah is a man just like us. As with all spiritual gifts, the gift of faith is given to some Christians who then use it to edify others in the body of Christ. Again, it's all for the edification of the body. Those with the gift of faith are an inspiration to other believers um, exhibit because they exhibit this simple competence in God that shows in all they say and all they do. You just they just walk out faith. Everything they say and everything they do um, shows this very strong, simple confidence in the promises of God. Extraordinarily faithful people show a humble godliness and reliance on God's promises, often so much so that they are known to be quietly fearless and zealous. They are so convinced that all obstacles to the gospel and to God's purposes will be overcome and so confident that God will secure the advancement of his cause that they will often do far more in the promotion of his kingdom than the most talented and scholarly preachers and teachers. The church, the body of Christ, needs people who operate in this extraordinary gift of faith. Amen. Next, we come to the gifts of healings. And this seems to be the one that draws the greatest interest, this gifts of healing. It embraces so many divergent views. Many have uh, unscriptural views in regards to this. Some people want to disprove it. Some people say that this gift is no longer in operation. Others have extreme views saying that we should never be sick or that we should never die. So we have to get this and rein this in the right way. And if you want to know about healing, I did a five-part series in, uh, it, it, that's listed on bradtotalministries.org, our website. It's also on my Brad Total Ministries YouTube channel where I talked about the different aspects of faith. If you of healing, if you need to know about healing, you should go there and listen to those. I, I guarantee you, my wife, I, I put these together when my wife and I had gone through COVID and we fought the good fight of faith and we applied the word of God to our healing every day and God brought us out of that and I felt led and we felt inspired to do this and so I did it. So I think there's a real purpose and a reason for these sermons that I did. If you need to listen, even pass those on to someone who may be suffering with some kind of affliction, it'll build their faith. The spiritual gifts of healings is not a commission to heal all, but only such as the Holy Spirit gives a manifestation for. I heard one person say, and I mentioned this last week in that sermon, 
that if you wonder if you have the spiritual gift of healing, that will be noticed by you when you have this very empathetic attitude towards sickness, towards people. Uh, it brings you to a place where you so hurt for them. Uh, there's such a compassion in you to see uh, sick people to be made well. Uh, that may be that operating of the spiritual uh, gifts of healing in your life. Spiritual gifts of healing is a supernatural manifestation of the Spirit of God that miraculously brings healing and deliverance from disease and, and or infirmity. I don't necessarily believe that there are faith healers or one man. I believe that we are specifically given, uh, certain people are giving this, given this gifts of healings. Um, I think sometimes that whole faith healer thing got way out of bounds and uh, people began to worship the man instead of the actual gift that was coming forth because it has nothing to do with him. It's all about God and the Holy Spirit manifesting those gifts through us. The spiritual gifts of healing is the power of God that destroys the work of sin and or of the devil in the human body, such as the healings that Jesus and his disciples performed. You see those in Matthew 4, Matthew 15, Acts 5, and Acts 28. The gift of healing is given to the church to build the body of Christ. The word healings is plural, possibly to emphasize the many kinds of afflictions that needed healing. And like the verb, it is very clear here that the noun is to be taken in its literal meaning of physical healing. The healing is the power of God at work through the believer and is not related to psychic or mental powers. This is the Spirit of God giving you the gift of laying hands on the sick and you see them recover. So again, for more on the subject of healing, go to those two sources I gave you and I believe that'll be a great blessing to you. So now we come to the gifts of the gift of miracles. Uh, many people, again, uh, out in the body of Christ and uh, different denominations believe the gift of miracles uh, ended with the apostles and that there is no need for the gift of miracles saying, let me say something about healings. In that sermon series, I give a testimony about my daughter being healed. You need to hear that. And that's the miraculous power of God actually doing true uh true healings that are still operating today. So God is still healing people today. The gift of miracles. This is the gift to display signs and miracles that give credibility to God's word and the gospel message. Those in the early church who had the gift of miracles had the ability by the spirit to do miraculous things of a different, more powerful kind. This is an even more comprehensive gift than the preceding gift. Um, some had merely the gift of healing the sick, while others had the general power of working miracles. This is a supernatural ability to perform miraculous deeds. The Greek word dunamis, translated as miracle, has the idea of a mighty deed. A miracle is when God intervenes in the normal operations of of nature. It is a temporary event that goes against the normally running of the universe. The gift of miracles thus is a supernatural, God-given ability to perform special signs that testify to the God of the Bible. Like the gifts of healings, this spiritual gift is spoken of in the plural. So the fact that it's in the plural form may suggest that each separate miracle is a special gift as the need arises. And I will say this to you sometimes when I talked about getting in the game and serving in the body and just getting in the game of life as far as a believer, um, you will, I believe these gifts Let's say you have the spiritual gift of healing. I believe that in you serving within the church, if you sit on the sidelines, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to operate in any spiritual gift. But if you're in the game, this spiritual gift of the spiritual gift of healing that we talked about before, um, it will activate through your life as you see people in your church or around you who are sick 
you'll be moved with compassion to lay hands on them and you will, glory to God, you will see results from that healing prayer because that gift of healings is operating in your life. It's it's just going to organically sometimes come through us while we're serving within the body and we just begin to step out and operate in these areas. The same thing with the working of miracles. Uh, it's this supernatural power to intervene and counteract earthly and evil forces. Here's an example. The Apostle Paul exercised the gift of miracles against a sorcerer who, attempting to turn away the proconsul Sergius Paulus from the Christian faith, he said to this person in Acts 13, 11, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a clear example of the purpose of exercising the gift of miracles. It's demonstrated through the power of God, through Jesus Christ, over the power of sorcery in this example, and was used to convert someone who was seeking the truth. If someone claims to have the gift of miracles, then they should be able to duplicate similar miracles to what we find in the New Testament. Yet, I will say this as well, we, cert we don't see this happening today on a very large scale. I do believe this gift is still for today, but I don't believe it's as commonplace as some people um, act like it is or say that it is. So then we come to the gift of prophecy. This is the gift to declare a message from God. It is a divinely inspired and anointed utterance. It's a supernatural proclamation in a known language. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God, not of intellect. Again, it's, the ma it's a manifestation of the Spirit of God, not of intellect. It may be possessed and operated by all who have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So, this is a gift that's needed within the body of Christ because um, the ability to speak prophetically to someone is very edifying to people. Intellect, faith, and your will are operative in this gift, but its exercise, again, is not intellectually based. It's calling forth words from the Spirit of God. It's calling forth words from the Spirit of God. Here's an example. Here's an example that people never think about. A pastor preacher who declares the Bible can be considered a prophesier in that he's speaking forth the counsel of God. We always think it's this um, big forthtelling of something like, you know, it's going, whatever. I don't want to... A lot of people get out there and prophesy all these big things. But remember, in the Old Testament, if you gave a prophecy uh, that was supposed to be from God, it didn't come to pass, they would stone you to death. In other words, there's a seriousness to anyone standing up and giving a prophetic word. You can't get up and give a prophetic word and then try to hide behind the fact because it didn't come to pass by saying, well, people must have been praying and it didn't have to happen. Um, prophetic words that are truly prophetic words are coming from God and they're coming from the Spirit of God. Remember, whatever the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit does is perfection. If it's truly of the Spirit, it is perfect and it is true and it is real, not fake. So in regard to this gift, again, we must be careful to remember that with the completion of the New Testament canon, prophesying changed from declaring new revelation to declaring completed revelation that God has already given. Someone cannot prophesy new revelation, then you're saying the Bible is not sufficient. That revelation, that word, it's very important to understand, the revelation of the word of God is has been given. It is sufficient within itself. So we're not declaring new revelation. We're declaring completed revelation that God has already given. In other words, the faith to which we hold has been settled forever. And it does not need the addition or refinement that comes from extra biblical revelations. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 29 through 32, in order to preserve balance, 
and prevent confusion in the worship service, Paul regulates prophecy. In other words, he says, others present, if someone prophesies in a church service, others present, especially those who function in the gift of prophecy, are to judge the authenticity of the prophetic utterances. Hear me. What happens is people get up and everybody thinks they're a prophet and they want to put the capital P prophet in front of their name. You better be very careful if you're going to call yourself a prophet because again, there's going to come, you, you uh, just be careful uh, because uh, you, these prophetic words, they better be from God. But someone stands up in a service and they give a prophetic word. Well, uh, this is a this is a very appropriate place to judge because other people who may be operating in the gift of prophecy, they're to judge the authenticity of these prophetic utterances. And this judging will include the content of the prophecy, the alignment of the prophecy with God's word, and the relevancy to the meaning that they are actually giving the prophetic word in. Um, Christians are to be very wary of those who claim to have a new message from God. Again, it's one thing to say, I had an interesting dream last night. It's quite another thing to say, God gave me a dream last night and you must obey it. So no utterance of man should be considered equal to or above the written word. Again, I believe this gift operates within the body of Christ. I believe it is an important gift I believe I've seen it used wonderfully within church services, but it's something, again, Paul puts a regulation on it. It needs to be judged by those who, who have the, the ability and the qualification to judge it as, as if to see that if it is truly authentic because it lines up with God's word and it even aligns up with the relevancy of the meeting. Actually, did the word have anything to really do with what was even going on in the meeting? And I can think of some funny things, but I won't go there. Um, I had a guy tell me one time, uh, sometimes these guys who are older in, in, the, in the church, they have these great, this pastor told me, he said in a church service, he got up and uh, the guy stood up and said, I have a word from the Lord. He said, nay. And he forgot, I think, what he was going to say. And he sat down and he went, he went, no, he stood up. He said, I have a word from the Lord. Yay. And he forgot what it was. And he sat down and he went, nay. One guy, he said, stood up and gave a word from the Lord. And then he stood up a little bit later and said, uh, <laughs> he said, um, God has not told the truth or something weird. People do weird stuff. People operate and they do weird stuff in church services. And it's not supposed to be that way. That's why Paul regulates these gifts, especially this word of prophecy and even the words of knowledge and words of wisdom and put stipulations on them. And he's going to for the gift of tongues operating in the public realm as well. So let me say it again. No utterance of man should be considered equal to or above the written word. Now we come to the gift of discerning spirits, really important spiritual gift that people need to operate in within the body. This is the God-given ability to distinguish between the truth of the word and the deceptive doctrines propagated by demons. It appears, especially from the epistles of the Apostle John, that pretenders to inspiration were numerous in the apostolic age. There was a lot of people saying things that they said were of God that were really demonic. Um, so John in 1 John 4, 1, that exhorts his readers to try the spirits, whether they be of God, for many false prophets are gone out into the world. And if he's saying that about the church then, do you think it's not happening today? You better believe that it's happening today. And we need people who have this gift of discernment. It was therefore of great importance to have a class of people with the gift of discernment who could determine whether a man or woman was really inspired or spoke only from the impulse of his or her mind or from the dictation of some evil spirit. I believe that obviously takes place today. When it comes to the gift of discerning spirits, every born-again Christian believer has a certain amount of discernment. You've probably discerned things about certain situations or discerned things about people. Um, and this will increase as the believer matures, it says in Hebrews chapter 5. 
The maturing believer is empowered by the Spirit of God through the Scriptures because you're in the Word of God. You then, then can tell the difference between good and evil. And beyond that, you can distinguish between what is good and what is better. And that's just from a believer being in the Word of God and beginning to grow in this his ability to discern these things. In other words, any born-again believer who chooses to focus on the Word of God is spiritually discerning. We're all exhorted to be spiritually discerning. But some in the body of Christ have been given the unique ability to spot doctrinal forgeries that have plagued the church since the first century. I say this, you can go on YouTube and there are particular ministries that I will go to um, on YouTube and a lot of people will say, well, these people are judging and they will do videos on certain uh, preachers and it always seems to be someone that's on TV. And this guy with not hatred or anger or malice, but you know, with a very calm heart and really wanting to do this because he wants this person to change, he will dissect very popular preachers on, uh, especially on television, it seems to be the ones that are in the, with these gigantic ministries and churches, and he will they will dissect. And there's more than one, but they're really the ones I'm talking about are very biblical. These guys are very solid in the Word of God, and they they have been given a spirit of discernment, and they can recognize doctrinal forgeries. So they do videos on these people and show where they're saying the Word of God and. And it's not the word of God. It is a it is a doctrinal forgery. Um, the one of the things I see in the body of Christ is that so many people in the body, like I said earlier, we're all exhorted to be spiritually discerning, and we're going to get we're going to grow in our maturity of discernment as we stay and study the word. The problem is, people don't in the church they don't study the word of God. Thusly, anybody that gets up and says anything. I have heard things that uh, people have preached on TV or you see them do a video sermon and they say things that are so out of bounds with the word of God. And yet everybody in the church going, amen, what a, oh, you know, they're just falling all over themselves. And you're thinking, I'm thinking, as soon as I hear it, I'm going, that's not even of the word of God. Where did that person even get that? So that's that spiritual discernment operating in me. I don't have anything against the person. I didn't turn it on so I could get them or stick them or, you know, have something negative on them. But they say something, you're like, ooh, and it just jumps out at you. That's not of God. That's not biblical. And so that's where that discernment comes in. And it's really needed in the body of Christ, again, to spot doctrinal forgeries. Um, the spiritually discerning, again, are so familiar with the word of God that they in instantly recognize what is contrary to it. So everybody, that's why every a pastor should not let just anybody preach. Um, he needs to be very discerning about what that person's bringing forth. It's not just about telling a good joke, making people laugh, or giving somebody, somebody an exhortive word. It's about presenting the scriptures, presenting the scriptures, um, you know, breaking them down, showing people what the word of God means. That's true teaching and preaching of the word of God, expositional preaching. But you let anybody get up there and as long as they make people laugh and make them feel good about themselves, we all, oh, that's great. This guy's great. But did he, did he or she really say anything or are some of the things he or she is saying are doctrinal forgeries? They may not mean to do it, but because they're not studied, they're doing it. And those that are in the congregation don't recognize it because they're not in the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, the spiritually discerning are diligent to rightly divide the word of God. Amen. Very important spiritual gift within the church. Now we come to the gift of various kinds of tongues. This is the gift to communicate in a language or a foreign language that you do not have experience with in order to converse with those who speak that language. These languages may be existent in the world. They may revive from some past culture or unknown in the sense that they are a means of communication inspired by the Holy Spirit. They serve as evidence of the indwelling and working of the Holy Spirit. So there are there is the public use of tongues, but... In order to preserve balance and prevent confusion in the worship service, Paul regulates this gift of tongues in a church service. 
1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. So I have seen, I have gotten up and giving a, uh, a, a, uh, and operated in the spiritual gifts of various kinds of tongues in a church service, but it was regulated by this. 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28 says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it's talking about in a public sense, it must be two or more at most three. It's talking about within a public setting, within a church service. And each one in turn, and one is to interpret. But if there, here's the key, if there is no interpreter, he is to keep silent in the church and have him speak to himself and to God. The spiritual gift of various kinds of tongues, if that tongue comes forth in a public setting, there needs to be someone, whether it's the person giving the tongue message or someone in the service who has, and we're going to talk about this, the gift of interpretation of tongues, it's that someone being in the service who can now interpret what's being said. Otherwise, if it's done in the right way, it's very edifying even to unbelievers. If it's done in the wrong way, it's very, it, it, it's very dismissing to believers. It's very, believers will leave a church service. I don't want anything to do with these guys. They're just in there babbling and saying nonsensical things. And, you know, that's what happens. That's why some people turn away from the church or the, or the church that moves in the spirit because people do things out of order. If it's regulated properly, I have no problem with someone operating within a church service in the gift of various kinds of tongues but there needs to be an interpreter with it. And that's where we next have the gift of interpretation of tongues. And the gift of interpreting tongues is the ability to translate said tongues into the language of the hearers. So as that person is giving out that that tongue that is an is a actual language in the existent world that they don't know, but it's given to them by inspiration of the Spirit through this, through this various kind of tongue, uh, or it's something that's revived from some past culture. There's 6,000 languages in the known world. And, you know, who's to say what someone does in tongues is or isn't a, a, a known, one of those known languages. But the person who has the gift of interpretation of tongues is able to translate that said, that word in tongues into language uh, that the hearers can understand. The gift of interpreting tongues is a separate gift, but again, it's used in conjunction with the gift of speaking in tongues. Again, the gift of tongues was the supernatural ability to speak a foreign language that the tongue speaker had never learned. We see this gift in use in Acts chapter 2. As the, again, as the Jews in Jerusalem heard the gospel preached in a wide variety of languages, a person with the gift of interpreting tongues then could understand what a tongue speaker was saying even though he did not know the language being spoken. It's, it's, it's really cool when you see it operating in, in a in the, the perfection of the Holy Spirit. This lack of prior knowledge then of a language is what distinguishes the spiritual gift from the natural gift of being able to understand and speak a variety of languages. The tongue's interpreter would hear the tongue speaker and then communicate the message to anyone present who could not understand the language. The goal was that all could understand and benefit from the truth being spoken. Of course, if those present could not understand the language being spoken, tongues then in this service was useless, and that's what made the tongues interpreter necessary. Again, there needs to be someone there to interpret that message in tongues. In other words, to have everyone speaking in tongues out loud in a service, it's out of order, the Bible says. The goal here. For all these gifts, as we come to a close, and all these spiritual gifts were for the edification of the church, for the building up of the church. And Paul's making the point in verse 11 that these gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit as he wills. You can't choose it. I choose to be a prophet. I choose to prophesy. Well, why don't you choose to help people? Why don't you choose to be a server in the church? And that could be a great benefit as well. Uh, we don't choose these gifts Holy Spirit chooses them for us. And again, there's a lot of people that will pit these gifts against one another for positions of status and superiority. And the purpose of Paul sharing them is to show that they all come from the same spirit. That's the main aspect of this. The spirit gives them all. It's good that we have an understanding. I listed them. I gave you some 
uh, understandings. I don't want to spend and take a separate sermon for every single gift. That's overkill. I gave you a quick view of these, but they're all from the same spirit. And Paul wants us to know that because he, we, want to, we want to use them to build up the body of Christ. So Paul's primary purpose in this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, is to head off the kind of competition that goes on within the body of Christ. This is not to be competed. My gift is better than yours. He wants members to know that every member is important. Nobody is a nobody in Christ's body. Nobody is a nobody in Christ's body. And let me read for a close today, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. It says this, Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. That's the spiritual gift of teaching, um, which is a supernatural way to explain and apply the truth received from God for the church. He says, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. Here's that spiritual gift of helps. Administrations, the spiritual gift of administration, and various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, are, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? He says in verse 31, but earnestly the, the desire the greater gifts. And yet, he says, and yet I'm going to show you a far better way. Then he pops right into verse or chapter 13. And he says this in verses one through three. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Verse 3, and if I give away all my position, my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is the foundation of all the gifts. They are to be done not to show off. They're not to be done to glorify yourself. They're not to be done to show how great you are. They are to be done out of the foundation of love for the body and your desire to see the body of Christ be everything, as, to be as strong as it's called to be. Um, without love, the most magnificent manifestation of gifts and the most heroic self-sacrifice mean nothing. Right things must be done in the right way. What the Holy Spirit does right, it's always in perfection. So there you are. There's spiritual gifts, more listed, a few more listed in the New Testament. But the important thing to remember is that they are given to us from the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body and the building up of the body of Christ. So I close with this today. Get in the game and get serving in the church and your gifts will begin to come forth as you serve and to the point where people will take notice of you functioning in that gift. We want these gifts. We laid them out before you as what they are, what they're comprised of. You have a gift. If you're out there, you're saved, you're a believer, you have a gift or gifts that will operate in you. Begin to serve in the body of Christ. And I guarantee you, your giftings will come forth. You will recognize them. You will have a passion within that. And people will begin to notice you functioning in your gift and will affirm you about that gift that you're operating in. But you got to get in the game. Get in the game and serve. Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just come before you right now in Jesus' name. I thank you and I pray, Holy Spirit, as they have listened and as they go back over this, they would recognize and understand somewhat what these gifts are about. But I pray most importantly, they would have a desire to be used in the body and to be used with their spiritual giftings. I pray for those who have struggled to find out what they are. I pray they would just get in the game and start serving and they would begin to work themselves into the understanding of what their giftings are. 
I pray, Lord God, you would, Holy Spirit, you would show them uh, and help them to begin to fully operate in everything you've called them to operate in within the body of Christ. We pray today, Holy Spirit, for your strength and your power moving through us. We thank you, Father God, for all these gifts that have been listed here. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us these gifts, these wonderful supernatural manifestations of you that you have given us. Manifestations, supernatural manifestations of the Spirit. You have given us these gifts that we might operate and function within the body of Christ and to help build it up, to help build it up, to help edify it. We thank you for that today. We thank you for all that you're doing for us and all you're continuing to do. And we pray these things and give all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this today. Uh, this was a much longer sermon, but I wanted to make sure I tried to get as much in as I possibly could so you could be equipped. That's what this series is about, to equip you, not just give you some 20-minute thing to make you laugh and make you feel good about yourself. I want you to learn. That's how you get discipled. Amen. So keep on serving God. Operate in your, in your gift. Get in the game. Start serving and watch the Holy Spirit present that gift in your life to you. Amen. God bless you. Live all out for Christ. Amen.